Welcome to the official podcast of the University of California, Riverside School of Public Policy. I'm your host, Maddie Bunting. Through this podcast series, I will be talking with various voices in the public policy world about today's pressing societal issues. Join me to learn about potential solutions and interventions for today's biggest policy challenges, be they about health, the economy, the environment, or other societal problems impacting families in your community or the international community. Joining me today is Dean's Brand Ambassador, Daisy Gonzalez, and retired CEO of San Bernardino County, Greg Devereaux. Mr. Devereaux served in state and local government for over 40 years, holding a variety of leadership positions, including city manager of Fontana and Ontario. Since retiring as Chief Executive Officer of San Bernardino County, California, Mr. Devereaux has opened his own consulting firm, working with both public and private clients. Mr. Devereaux is also a member of the advisory board at UCR's School of Public Policy. So, uh, Mr. Devereaux, you are the former Chief Executive Officer of the County of San Bernardino. As I'm sure you know, the Board of Supervisors recently requested a new health order stating that face coverings are no longer required, but highly recommended in San Bernardino County. Do you believe this will allow the county to reopen businesses more quickly? Do you have any thoughts on this new order? uh, I think that the county, like all counties in the state, are trying trying very hard to balance um, the public health needs right now with the, um, the impacts on the economy um, and the needs for people to be working and um, gaining an income and supporting their families. And so uh, all of these choices are unfortunately difficult choices in part because as I'm sure you all have uh, observed, there isn't um, a lot of times a lot of data or information upon which to base the choices. Uh, We uh, don't have enough information about this virus yet um, because of the lack of uh, tracking and and tracing and testing. to be able to predict how actions will affect it. So um, they are proceeding cautiously. I know following um, the state guidelines and trying to stay within them um, while at the same time uh, suggesting uh, to the state that there may be other approaches that should be explored that are safe, that will allow businesses to open more quickly. I know that getting them open, but getting them open safely um, is on the top of their minds, having talked with and conferred with several of the supervisors. um, They are uh, trying their very best to balance those competing, uh, those sometimes competing interests talking about the board when speaking of the board of supervisors you know the board of supervisors also recently adopted a readiness and reopening plan and plans to to seek the governor's consent right so we want to start 
you know, implementing plans and adopting plans that are, you know, talking about reopening, right, sort of getting back into it, um, you know, getting back into society. Um, but with that in mind, can you give us a glimpse into the relationship between the counties of California and the state of California? Um, you know, do you believe that uh, these relationships may look different during the time of crisis, especially when trying to implement these plans, right? When we're talking about policies, uh, you know, what is the relationship between those two? Well, it, it, it's a great question, Daisy, and, and uh, uh, many people um, uh, don't understand the roles of counties. Um, counties are kind of a, a unique level of government in our um, federal scheme of government. Uh, we all have a pretty good idea of what the federal government does um, in terms of programs and national defense and, and those kind of activities. We have a pretty good idea of what state government does and what state government is responsible for. We pretty much know what our cities do in terms of providing police and fire and paramedics and uh, parks and streets and th those kinds of things. But when you ask people what counties do, um, they're not always sure. And I will tell you as a longtime city manager who then went to the county, as cities, we don't have a very good idea of what counties do. And I don't think that most people do. And so I'll, I'll digress for just a, a second. Cities mm -hmm. are independent municipal corporations. So they are independent corporate entities under the law. Counties, on the other hand, are subdivisions of the state and are not corporations. So counties largely are assigned a set of responsibilities by the state, like the, the county sheriff, the county jail, uh, uh, probation, the district attorney, um, uh, 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 those kinds of functions, the county, the, the county jails, county prosecution, uh, and a lot of uh, cross-cutting services. So counties are kind of in four main areas uh, of business, you would say. Their biggest line of business is the, the social safety net. So a lot of federal dollars coming through the state implemented at a local level. Things like food stamps um, are, uh, come through counties. Um, counties then, their second biggest line of business is the one I just mentioned, law and justice. Um, uh, and then their third are a group of cross-cutting services for all jurisdictions, like the county assessor and the tax collector. Those are for all jurisdictions, school districts, special districts, cities. They perform them for all those. And then their last line of business is the one that cities are most familiar with, and that's municipal services, police, fire, etc., for county unincorporated areas. Now, having said that, in San Bernardino County, um, uh, the county would actually be the largest municipal government if you counted all of the uh, people that live in the unincorporated areas. So the biggest city in 
in San Bernardino County is uh, just over 200,000, uh, city of San Bernardino, though um, uh, Fontana uh, closely uh, eclipsing that probably in the next census will. But the county has over 400 residents in those county unincorporated areas. So uh, even though it's, it's, it is the county's smallest line of business, um, the, that those municipal services um, uh, would make it the largest um, uh, munis municipal service provider in the county. Um, and if I may, I'll, I'll digress just for a moment longer because I, uh, uh, I think that um, uh, people don't really understand the size of our counties um, uh, and cities in California. Um, uh, Riverside County um, is uh, the 11th largest county by population in the United States. San Bernardino County is the 12th largest by population. Um, uh, and together, those two counties that people refer to as the Inland Empire, and that's out of over 3,000 counties. Mm -hmm. uh, together, we are larger in population than 25 states. Wow. People don't understand <laughs> that order of magnitude. When I was city manager in, in uh, uh, Ontario, and you know there are um, uh, uh, over 5,000 cities in the United States, uh, or actually more, um, uh, uh, thousands of cities in the United States. Uh, uh, Ontario, 150 largest city in the United States. Really understand the magnitude of our cities and counties. Now, the long uh, uh, addition of, of just information there, but um, so counties in relation to the state, we're arms of the state. Um, now, that doesn't mean that counties don't have independent authority. Um, if the state issues a public health order, um, counties have to follow that order. But because they also have um, uh, public health authority, we have public health authority at the local level, uh, counties can actually be more strict than the state. They can't be less strict, but they can be more strict. So the, the part of the reason that the county is providing that plan is because um, the board members being in touch with the, the community understand that a lot of people want to get back to work. Um, uh, 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 so what they are trying to communicate to the state is, state, we understand your rules. We understand your guidance. We certainly don't, um, uh, we don't intend to deviate from that because um, that is the state guidance and that controls us. But here are circumstances unique to our population and both Riverside County Board of Supervisors and San Bernardino County Supervi Board of Supervisors have um, uh, indicated to the state that they think there are some unique circumstances that the state may not have considered um, that would uh, allow uh, us to 
um, uh, open some businesses a little more quickly. Yeah, and I would even say, you know, um, earlier Maddie and I were discussing, you know, the differences that the counties, you know, the different actions that the counties are taking. LA County had, you know, came out with, you know, we're still staying with our strict stay at home order. Um, and you can see that, you know, that strictness and the different ways that how you said, you know, they're, um, they're taking these actions for the purpose of that specific population. So it's very interesting to see well, that. And, and to your point, you know, you look at some of the rural counties that have experienced very little impact, very few cases, uh, very few deaths. Um, some of them have um, uh, decided to um, uh, open things more quickly than the state would desire. Now, they're not necessarily going against strict edicts. Um, in, some in some cases, the state has provided guidance, not a strict rule. Uh, and those, uh, those counties have decided to open uh, a little more freely um, than the state would like, but they aren't necessarily violating um, a, a state edict. Interesting. It's, I know, I, I feel, I agree with you. Many people, including myself, are not aware of the exactly, you know, what differentiates city and county, regional and, and state. It's, it's quite complicated, but I completely agree with what you said that, you know, we are so concerned about public health, but we, you know, the government and everyone is also concerned about the economy and getting back to work and, you know, unemployment rates have, have risen dramatically. And especially in California, we are seeing a tremendous loss in revenue. Yeah. So I wanted to ask no, no, if you could, I, I mean, yes. you're, you're uh, you know, throughout uh, um, the United States and, and certainly in California at a state level and at a local level, um, revenues uh, have declined precipitously um, uh, very, very quickly. And the projections are that uh, the revenue loss will be uh, worse than uh, governments experienced during the Great Recession. Um, and it will uh, potentially last longer. Um, and that's going to have tremendous local impacts uh, 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 every city manager that I know that I've spoken with, people at the county that I've spoken with, are anticipating that they will have to uh, cut the number of employees, uh, whether they furlough them or um, uh, actually lay them out, off outright, um, that uh, they will have to reduce the, the number of employees in order to balance their budgets in uh, both the state Unlike the federal government, both the state and uh, the county and the cities have to balance their budgets uh, every year. Uh, it's a requirement. Uh, so the federal government can run deficits. Um, you can't do that uh, at the state or local level. So actually, that is new to me. I have heard a lot of comparisons to the Great Recession, but I have not heard the projections are that it's going to be worse. So for the you know, someone with so much experience in, in local and state government, do you, how do we, if this is, you know, long-term, other than, I mean, unfortunately, to your point, it does seem like a lot of people may not get their jobs back. And 
And do you see maybe unemployment, you know, people, will California be able to, you know, give so many people unemployment for a prolonged amount well, they, of time? Well, they will, but the question becomes, what's the cost? See, because with uh, unemployment, for instance, uh, the state, um, during the Great Recession, uh, uh, California, as uh, a number of states did, um, borrowed from the federal government um, to uh, meet uh, uh, unemployment uh, payments uh, to people uh, within the state. Um, the state of California had just gotten done repaying the debt, the borrowing it did during the Great Recession for unemployment compensation uh, just this last year. And here we are having to borrow again already. So it does have um, a longer term impact uh, when you have to finance those kinds of activities. In your opinion, you know, everything that's going on, where, where can you find the biggest gaps or at least what should we know, right? Where are the biggest gaps in our federal government in relation to such a response to COVID-19? And do you believe the U.S. has reacted well to this crisis, right, has had the right strategies, has taken the, the right actions um, in response to this uh, well, pandemic? Well, it, it's been a great study. Uh, to your point, uh, you know, not knowing what various levels of government do, uh, uh, a lot of people don't um, uh, think about or remember their high school civics that uh, we are a federal system. We live within federalism. In public health, um, the federal government um, can't direct the states. Um, uh, the, the, they can give advice, they can give guidance. And I think that some of the difficulties in a federal system um, emerged or uh, 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 certainly were apparent um, in the response. Um, uh, there are things that the federal government can do. Most of those things have to do with coordination. Uh, I think that there could have been um, uh, earlier action uh, 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 across the United States, in many states, um, and at a federal level. The other thing that the steps that had been taken in response to earlier public health crises uh, in terms of preparedness and stockpiles, preparedness definitely is a federal role. Now, it's a state role and a local role, too. All levels bear some responsibility, uh, but uh, in the federal, uh, in the emergency management system in the United States, each level is at first supposed to take care of itself. And then if it has difficulties, it goes to the next level up. So the city, if it can't take care of um, uh, uh, an emergency or a disaster turns to the state and the state turns to the region and the region turns to the federal government. The entire world 
is confronted with um, uh, a big problem. There's not enough resource for each successive layer to take care of all of the layers below it. The role that it can play uh, is before something happens in preparedness and during, even if there's not enough resource, it can help the communication and coordination. So some of the areas um, of um, uh, criticism, and, and I will say these are not necessarily my criticisms. I mean, one of the things that you do after any kind of disaster is you do an after action um, uh, uh, report um, uh, to assess how you dealt with how the, the, the incident, how did you perform, what went right, what went wrong. And, and there's need to do a lot of that. But one of the things I think that everyone acknowledges that went wrong, both at a state and federal level, stockpiles of personal protective equipment and equipment uh, needed in the healthcare system had been built up um, uh, uh, quite a while ago in, in both instances. Um, during successive administrations, both at a state and, and federal level, those stockpiles were allowed to get outdated. Uh, some of the equipment was sold off. Uh, the state of California had four um, fully equipped uh, field hospitals, huge field hospitals that could have treated thousands of people um, that, that were sold off. Um, uh, at the federal level, um, recall hearing that uh, some of the early ventilator uh, shipments uh, turned out that the ventilators were out of date and, and non-functioning. Now, I am careful not to easily criticize having been within the system, understand the pressures. And one that I would like to um, mention is that the voters who put elected officials in office do not always incentivize or reward responsible behavior. And let me give you an example at a local level. There are very few votes that you get for maintaining the infrastructure that nobody sees that's under the streets, the sewers and the water system. But build a soccer park, some soccer fields, you're going to get votes. The community doesn't come out and say, you know, um, I want to know what you're doing about maintaining our water lines. But they do come out and say, you know, we voted you in office and we want a soccer park where our kids can play. Well, that's what preparedness is. 
those those former administrations, mm -hmm. both at the state and le uh, federal level, reacted to the crisis that had occurred. Um, uh, uh, and I forget which flu or which pandemic it was, but but in both instances, um, they built um, uh, real stockpiles of equipment and personal protective um, uh, gear um, that over successive administrations, when times were better and people tended to forget those crises, they let them um, deteriorate to the point that they were virtually unusable and certainly weren't sufficient for what we're experiencing. During downturns like the Great Recession, it's very hard to get elected officials and even professional staff to do all of those things that may be good governance and responsible governance when it's a matter of trading off to keep police officers on the street. Part of what I would suggest to you is that uh, as someone who um, has been uh, a, a practicing government administrator my entire life and career, um, you always want to see and would like to see more thoughtful public engagement and dialogue about what the priorities really should be. And you always hope that um, the public will reward good governance, but that doesn't always happen. Yes, and I, I think that's why who you elect is so important and why voting is so important because they we're seeing during this time how important and influential the government is and how many policies really do go into effect and need to be implemented. And, and that affects you, it, it directly, affect you directly as an individual. And, and it affects, as we're seeing in an incident like this, life in our country, uh, in our world, uh, uh, in our county, and in every single city. Um, uh, the, the policy choices that are made um, uh, are critical uh, to be a, being able to address a complex situa situation like this well. And it's the policy choices beforehand, during, and after um, that all need to be paid attention to. Yes. And shifting gears a little bit, um... As you had mentioned, you were the city manager of the uh, of Ontario, and Ontario has an international airport. I was curious if you could speak with us about how small regional airports like Ontario are affected by this outbreak, and do you believe larger airports such as LAX are experiencing um, uh, the same impacts? The and latter. Effects? Uh, all airports, um, uh, unless they are general aviation airports, but uh, all public airports that are um, uh, uh, have passenger flights um, uh, are being affected the same way. Uh, the number of passenger uh, flights across the country have been reduced um, uh, significantly. 
Um, the um, number of people flying uh, has dropped significantly. Um, uh, many flights that are nearly empty, empty or certainly don't even cover the cost uh, of the flight. Um, and all of that activity affects the revenue of airports, uh, all, uh, all uh, commercial airports. Uh, so whether it's LAX or whether it's Ontario, um, uh, they are all being impacted. And just like we're seeing and, and we discussed at the, the state level and the city level and the county level, um, airports uh, will experience big drops in their revenues and they will have to make a lot of cuts to be able to uh, address those drops in their revenue. Now, I will tell you where Ontario is um, slightly different. Uh, uh, certainly Ontario has experienced uh, a big drop in revenue, um, but Ontario um, more than most um, has a good balance of passenger and cargo airlines. Being um, a Western hub for uh, UPS, um, FedEx building uh, a brand new, very large uh, facility here and, and us becoming uh, for FedEx, uh, having um, a large number of Amazon flights. Uh, we have a lot of cargo and though passenger flights uh, and traffic have been uh, greatly reduced, uh, the number of flights have gone up significantly. UPS and FedEx's presence at Ontario helped Ontario weather uh, the Great Recession uh, when airports uh, once again had significant drops in passenger traffic. Um, it was the cargo traffic that helped pull us through and I think will help pull through again this time. There's a lot of talk about will the government change? Will society change? Will we go back to quote unquote normal? And do we see a new version of what should be normal? Do you have any thoughts on what will change, what might well, change, uh, and uh, if it will uh, be I temporary or permanent? Uh, uh, I was on an earlier conversation with a lot of um, uh, health and uh, business leaders and people from the governor's office. Um, uh, and uh, we were talking about what, not only what might change, but is this an opportunity to help create change? Um, uh, I, I, I do think that there will be um, some changes, mm -hmm. though I will tell you, I've lived long enough to know that um, Often during crises, uh, it is predicted that there will be permanent change and um, uh, there turns out to be little or there turns out to be change that gets integrated into what we uh, consider to be everyday life. Uh, I mean, uh, pre 9-11, you didn't go through the kind of screening that we have to go through today to get on an air uh, an airline, um, though other parts of the world uh, that already existed because terrorist activities in some of those areas um, happened regularly, and so they had already made an adjustment um, 
to address them. But some of the things that people believed would be permanent then um, didn't turn out to be. I will say that, that there are some things that are occurring now, like the, the shift to um, more shopping on the internet, um, more home delivery. I don't think that those things will go back. Um, mm -hmm. I think, but I think it was a change that was already happening. I think that this perhaps uh, accelerated it. I do think that perhaps business and government will have learned um, that remote working um, really can be equally or more productive and has some side benefits like cleaner air and uh, less congested freeways, uh, less um, uh, accidents um, that are beneficial. And so uh, uh, once again, whether that is accelerating a change that was already happening uh, or whether it's a change in and of itself, I will, will leave to others. I, I do think that um, it will be a change and it will affect sectors like um, commercial real estate, uh, office buildings. Uh, if you had a 20,000 square foot office suite and during this period found that you really only needed about 5,000 because you should be switching off per workers and uh, they, maybe they should come in a day or two a week, but the rest of the time they could work for, from home and be uh, equally productive. You probably don't keep 20,000 feet. You, you go down to five, um, which will um, uh, perhaps lead us just as we have with brick and mortar stores closing and some of those being converted into housing. Maybe we'll see some of the office space we have today converted into housing or other uses. I think that this will accelerate the, the use of telemedicine um, and uh, remote areas um, mm -hmm. to um, help uh, address our public health needs. Uh, and certainly in counties like San Bernardino and, and Riverside, um, where we have large geography and people scattered um, that uh, I think will be a, a, a good thing uh, and will help people uh, stay healthier and stay uh, in better touch with their doctors. It will be very interesting to see um, on the call, I was on the call today that said, you know, about 15,000 homeless people had been housed. Um, uh, uh, and I don't know whether that was area-wide or statewide, but housed in uh, hotels. Um, uh, the, the question there, um, uh, everyone has recognized the, the, the desirability of doing that from a, a health and humanitarian standpoint. Um, what will happen? Will we be able to fully trans, uh, uh, transfer those people out of those hotels as the economy uh, opens up um, into permanent housing? Um, so I think that there are um, a number of these changes could be permanent, uh, but I'm old enough to know that only time will tell. This podcast is a production of the UC Riverside School of Public Policy. 
I'm Maddie Bunting. Till next time.